Hey there, everyone. Welcome to Holy Man, a journey of becoming godly men. No matter if we are sons or husbands, dads, grandfathers, or just any regular guy out there, we are going to try to figure out how God would want us to live on this journey called life. None of us have it all figured out. So let's dig into God's Word and wrestle with God's Word as we try to become who God created us to be, specifically, holy men. Hey there, men. It is good to be with you again on the Holy Man podcast. We slide in the second half of this semester, with this being the seventh week, and we're, and we're continuing to be discussing the book, Lies Men Believe and the Truth That Sets Them Free. And I continue to hear some great words from you guys of good conversations you're having, both in life groups and in general conversations that you're having from listening to the podcast. And that is awesome. And I quickly want to give a shout out to the ladies that are out there listening. Uh, it catches me off guard how... Amazing it is. It's funny to have it, that there are many women out there who are loving the Holy Man podcast. And mostly it's because that you are better understanding how we men think and how God is growing us as men towards holiness. Wives are telling me it's helping them to become better wives as they listen. And that's awesome. Well, today we're going to jump into another great topic for discussion. Today we're going to be tackling some of the lies that we men have been fed in regards to our marriages and our families. And I have another great guest that I invite to the Holy Man podcast today. Today, we welcome Grant Austin. Grant, it is good to have you with me here today. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to join you today in this podcast. For those of you who don't know Grant, uh, what he does on he's on staff here at New Life, and his title is Operations, but he does so much more. Grant produces all of these podcasts. He creates most of the videos that you see on a Sunday morning. He's in charge of our website and lots of social media presence. He is one of our primary singers in the Worship Sunday. But, Grant, that is not the reason I'm asking you to join me today. With the topic being marriage and families, I chose Grant because even though he's still young, Grant, how many years have you been married? Nine years. Okay, so you're not... It'll be nine in April, I guess. All right, well, you're not a grizzled veteran of what we would think as being a married man. But I believe that Grant has a good handle or at least on that journey of being a good, godly husband and a dad. And I think Grant will have some good things to share with us today. So Grant, why don't you start off by telling the listeners a little bit about your family dynamics? So um, I'm married to Lindsay Austin. We started dating in high school, our senior year. High school sweethearts. Yep, high school sweethearts. We uh, uh, dated for many, many years, mainly because uh, I'm stubborn and I had a goal of not being married until I was out of college and partly I just didn't want to grow up. I think being married is a step in growing up. So, But I graduated college in March, and we got married that following April. Um, and so it'll be nine years this April. Uh, we have two kids and one on the way. We have a four-year-old boy and a two-year-old girl, and um, excited to see what the third one will be. How soon will the third one be here? August 3rd. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so she's going to be pregnant all during the heat of yes, summer? Yes, the heat, the warm summer. Heat. Yeah. yeah. Great planning. Oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then I think a, a different dynamic which um, we have to work through um, is both both of us are full-time employed. 
And so that just brings a different dynamic than a family who has one parent who stays home. So it's just something that we navigate, and I'm sure other people listening to this navigate the same thing. So um, just yeah. a different perspective. Karen and I have had both dynamics. She was home for a little while mm-hmm. in the beginning part of our marriage, but now, yeah. just like you, uh, she and I both work. And so it does. It changes that dynamics, especially, Grant, you and I have both experienced this when our child care yes. gets sick. And causes us dilemmas that uh, we just have to navigate that. And it does. It causes some fun issues. Well, Grant, before we get into discussing some of these lies today, can you tell the guys some of the things that you and Lindsay have done and presently do to help you to have a good marriage and to be parents that you, the good parents that you're becoming? Yeah, uh, we, it was only, this year was the first year we did it, but it was, um, we did a goal setting meeting. Lindsay and I went on a date. We had a paper that we walked through some different goals that we wanted to accomplish and asked each other questions. And I think that was huge just for us to be on the same page at the start of the year to uh, plan ahead and have dreams and know each other's dreams, some of that. So it was cool to be on on the same page. Um, And we just started that and we're going to continue to do that from year to year. Um, We also invest in resources for family, um, family resources like we listen to podcasts together. the Naked Marriage podcast um, was one we listened to a lot. Um, we have bought into marriage subscriptions where they have videos of teaching different how to navigate conflict, how, how to navigate different things in life, parenting. Um, and we go to marriage seminars for our marriage. Um, and this last year, or in 20, maybe 2020, uh, we did a, a, a Love and Logic um, parenting course um, that was a couple weeks long, and that was helpful for us. Well, that's that's part of the reason why, Grant, I've asked you here, because what I see with you and Lindsay is you haven't settled. You, uh, you're you not okay with being where you are. Even if you do have moments when you're really good at being married and really good at being parents, you're not okay with just being okay. You, yeah. you are always wanting to be better because you see the importance of all aspects of life your marriage and your parenting are two of the things that you see as the most important. So I see, I watch you and Lindsay pour into those mm. those dynamics. Yeah, it's important for us for sure. Yeah. Well, I love that. And of course, also anybody that knows Grant and Lindsay, their faith is even above their marriage and their parenting. And and that and partly that's why they now understand that their marriage and their parenting mm. is so important because yes. their faith leads them into that. Yep. Well, let's. Jump in that we have five lies, Grant, and this is a lot. So we're going to try to tackle through a bunch of these lies that we men struggle with. And I think you and I both know some of the men that have struggled with some of these lies, including ourselves. Yep. So the first one is love doesn't require spoken words. (laughs) Now, the author acknowledges that the concept that many of us in the church know about called love languages, which are those five ways that we either share love or best receive love. He's not just talking about that. He doesn't discount them. But beyond understanding them, he simply wants us to understand that words matter when it comes to our marriage and our family. So Grant, first, do either you or Lindsay have words of affirmation, one of those five love languages, as your love language? Yeah, uh, for me, it's one of my top ones, one of the top two. And Lindsay, it's kind of more in the middle. So it's it's some not, not, not important, but it's not the bottom of the list. Okay. Well, then second, do you hear what the author is sharing about the importance of our words when it comes to our family relationships? And do you, in in general, agree with him? Yeah, I agree. I mean, people say uh, actions speak louder than words, but uh, that's not always true, (laughs) especially for men. Words are good. We like to kind of be quiet sometimes. 
We do. And it's interesting with you being the words of affirmation guy and Lindsay, it's not as high up for her. Uh, it, it's an interesting dynamic. <clears throat> so even though that's not her top love languages, does she still enjoy hearing good words from you? Yes. Oh, yeah, for sure. So, Grant, with this lie being as it is, what are some ways that men can get in trouble with their words uh, if we don't use them in the best way in our marriages? Yeah, Uh Often, I've, I've, I mean, it's a generality for men, but um, we think, you know, our actions should speak how much we love our family, how much we love our wives. Correct. And yes, in the moment, an action can speak that that truth, but um, saying it and is reassuring and um, it's just important for that family member to know that you do care for them, that you do love them. And I mean, I know somebody who grew up with a dad who just showed love, didn't ever say it. And it was always about accomplishments. So then their whole life, they spent their life trying to earn his acceptance or his like achieving things so he would love them instead of just knowing he loves them unconditionally. And, and that's partly that's how God created us men mm-hmm. to be the providers for the family. And so actions are tend. And this is, again, it's a general statement. But in general, God created us men to to be doers to be yep. active in how we show our love. And yep. so what you're saying is so true, that, and we can get in trouble with that, but at the same time, how important can words be? Well, Grant, I know that you try to do well with this, especially because you're a words of affirmation guy, but can you recall a time when you didn't get your words as right as possible and it possibly hurt your wife or kids? Yeah, I think at least once a day. <laughs> <laughs> I hear always, that. Always working on it. Yeah, uh, yeah that, that happens... So what is a way that you don't get this one as right as you could? Uh, probably my my biggest one would be just being passive aggressive. I say things quickly and it's not productive at all and it always leads to the wrong thing and, the, and conflict and all that. Wow. It's kind of like you took the words right out of my mouth, basically, of what I pro- struggle with as well. You know, for instance, if there's if one of if my wife or one of my kids let a box sitting on the table and it's there for a while and it's obvious to me that should be moved, you know, instead of me saying assertively, you know, will you move this and put it away? Yep. I say, boy, how long is this box going to sit here? Exactly. And in doing so, I make them feel bad. Yep. And I and I and I watch it over their faces. I know better than this too. And mm-hmm. that's what's frustrating to me is I know better. I teach people about this, but yet I still yeah. get it wrong. Oh, yeah. Well, on the flip side, can you remember a time when you got it right and life was good because of it? Yeah, this is probably this example <clears throat> of like just being willing to know you're wrong and apologize and, and it's recent. So we did a marriage little mini retreat here on at New Life a couple weeks ago, and I was at home the day of the retreat practicing the music for that night, and I was singing at the piano, and Lindsay's playing with our daughter, and she has her phone, and she's putting reflection on my face, and I was concentrating, so I turned and just gave her a look. I was very annoyed, (laughs) and then I finished the song, and she went on doing her thing, and then I realized that was not the way to handle that. You know, I should not do that, so then I apologized to her, humbled myself, and it was way better. We just avoided that conflict altogether. It's amazing how an apology, a simple asking for forgiveness, can mean so much. It can change a dynamic, especially when it's heartfelt. Again, we can use passive aggressiveness (laughs) and even asking for 
forgiveness. Yep. And so doing it right, doing it the the, the humility thing, it's, it's so important. Yeah. Well, anyone who studies the Bible at any level will learn quickly that our words matter. The number of scripture passages that we could bring up that speak to that truth are many. For instance, just looking into the book of Proverbs, let me just share a couple powerful verses here that just share this understanding. In Proverbs 15, Proverbs 15, 1, it says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And I think any of us can think of moments in our days where we have seen both sides of this. And so it's just truth. Uh, Proverbs 16, 24, another one, gracious words are a honeycomb. So we just talk about how sweet they are, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And it's so true. Whether those words are coming towards us or whether we are sharing those words, we have seen the evidence of the sweetness of gracious words. And one more I just want to mention, Proverbs 12, 18. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Grant, there are many others that we could point to. Do you have a certain passage that you rely on in this area of your marriage? Yeah, um, I like uh, Ephesians 4.29. And it says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And that's huge for me because I think being a passive aggressive saying those things, that language is abusive. Like, mm-hmm. So if you sure can is. get past that, um, that's, that's huge. Do you have any other specific thoughts for the guys to help us take a step of getting this one better? Yeah, I think for guys in general, we tend to um, struggle using words. We don't like to talk all that. All that I mean, that's definitely a generality, but we usually don't like to talk, um, especially about our feelings. Um, but I think I want to caution all of us that when we do speak, we end up usually speaking too quickly. And we should actually, instead of just blurting out something, we should pause for a little bit, pause five seconds maybe. Um, and even that can just kind of recenter you to not have that abusive language um, or that foul language. And truthfully, Grant, that comes right from God because God is slow to speak, mm-hmm. slow to get angry. Yep. And man, if we could learn from God and how to apply that both to our wives and to our kids, yep. man, that would change so much of the dynamics in our life. Well, the truth that the author shares is in addition to doing good things for our wives, They need to hear us say kind things to them, especially those magic words, I love you. Guys, I encourage you, learn from this one. Uh, Get better at it because, yeah, it's important. Number two, the lie, my wife is supposed to make me happy. So this lie is looking at a man's thoughts as far as as his wife's purpose in the marriage. Grant, what are some of the ways that this lie can get us into trouble within our marriage if we believe it to be true? I think the the core problem with this lie is it just places way too much responsibility on our wife. It sure does. Uh, it's, it's not fair to her. Um, and so ultimately, we're responsible for our own happiness. And so just putting that on her is just not a, a, a great burden for her. I think just going back to the previous lie, if our wives are going to say some things to us because she's she's sinful she's not perfect mm-hmm. and if our expectations on her causing us joy or happiness she's going to get it wrong just in that one area and oh, so yeah. i agree with you grant that if if that's where our reliance is for finding our happiness in our marriage man uh good luck guys with that because that <laughs> you're going to struggle with that 
Now, I know both of us have some really great whys. Yeah. But if we depended on them to make us happy, we will struggle in life. So, Grant, what do you suggest to the men out there uh, to fight this lie? Where should their focus be when it comes to finding joy and happiness? I, th- I, I feel that humanity's default is selfishness. Mm. And it's amplified, uh, especially in the time period we live in. Everyone's saying you should do what you want to do. Do what makes you happy. It's all about you. Um, and I think that's the wrong way to think. I don't think Christ called us to think that way. Um, if we're Christ followers, we're called to love God and love people. So I think in the context of a, of a marriage, um, we should be sacrificial to our wives. We should serve our wives, not to gain anything in return, but we should serve um, our wives and move that focus to them. Wow. Uh, Just that alone, it, you know, the sacrificial love, it does. It changes things. Yeah. You know, just a few weeks ago, I preached about the gift of being deeply connected to Jesus. It was a sermon about prayer. It was looking into John 15, where Jesus is talking about being connected to him. And if we did, then he says, I have loved you even as the Father loved me. Remain in my love. And when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, my joy will overflow. So overflowing joy doesn't come from our wives giving us pleasure. Mm-hmm. It comes from us being connected to Jesus. Now, if both of our wives are connected to Jesus, then that's going to be a bonus. Yeah. Because just as we do what you just said there, Grant, love God and allow that sacrificial love to pour out on our wives, if they are ping-ponging back towards us that same type of sacrificial mm-hmm. love, it's going to be a blessing. Yeah, it's huge. So the truth that the author shares here is whether we are single or married, God alone can give us ultimate happiness and fulfillment. As we seek him, we will find the truest joy. Man, if we can get that right and pours into our relationship, it's going to be good. Okay, on to lie three. I don't have what it takes to be the CEO of my home, the leader of my home. I can leave that role to my wife. Now again, Grant, I want to say this. We both have good, strong wives. Both of our wives have some great leadership gifts that they use in different ways. So this conversation is not going to distract from that understanding. And I don't want either of us to come across as we are sexist in this discussion. Because, Grant, I know you and I know both of us. We're not. But, Grant, what exactly would it look like in a marriage or a family if a man believed this lie to be true, that he wasn't supposed to be the leader of his home? How do you see this playing out and what are some of the struggles it can cause? I think one of the best examples currently is watch basically any sitcom or Hollywood movie. Wow. It always depicts the, the man as being lazy or... Um, Weak. Yeah. Are you, I mean, you can even watch... I've seen some kid shows lately that even the father in the kid show is depicted that way. And so that's just not good. It's not a great example for us to follow. What I see is for... You know, we walk along a lot of men. You're in a men's life group. I'm in a men's life group. And uh, I pastor a lot of men as well. And, and I see their, sometimes it's their fear of getting it wrong because, you know, leading your family, uh, especially in the realm of churchdom uh, or helping their faith journeys grow, there's a lot of men who we want to succeed. We want to be the providers. And this is an area that I think in our faith journey, 
we struggle in our faith journey, at least over the last many years, a lot of men have walked away from the church. Mm -hmm. And so it's something, you know, if you want me to fix something, I can do that. I know how to do that. But if I don't know how to lead my family in their faith journey, well, then I'm I'm not going to be willing to step into that because uh, I don't want to look bad in yeah. front of my wife and my kids. And so instead of being humble and be willing to say, I'm not good at this, but I'm going to try, instead, they just do nothing. Mm-hmm. And in doing nothing, it, there's some passiveness with that as well, and they end up missing on a major opportunity. Yeah, yeah I think they... Oftentimes, it's easy for men to just have their wives make all the decisions, and they go off and they focus. They put their energy in something else. It could be hunting, it could be going to the bar, it could be watching sports, playing video games, but they're disconnecting. They're not being um, a team player and not helping lead the family. Yeah, and the attributes that God has entrusted to them, that that family, that marriage, they're missing out on those things. Mm-hmm. So in several passages throughout the New Testament, we find the words, husbands, love your wives like Jesus loved the church. And as we understand, Jesus Christ is the head of the church. He is the CEO. He's bigger than that, but based on this language, he's a CEO. But out of that position of authority, Jesus calls us to love, just as Jesus did. He laid down his life sacrificially for the church and so that love that he demonstrated that calls us to sacrificially love our wives and our family so again grant with us both having good wives who have leadership abilities what are some ways that we can lead yet also let our wives be who god created them to be yeah i think this can be this can be tricky um, when god has created your wife with stronger leadership abilities um but and honestly i'm i think i'm super fortunate and Lindsay makes this easier for me. She gives me space to step up and lead. Um, she could do the things, but she's willing to humble herself and um, just give me space in that area. I think that goes real quickly. I'm going to go back. That's that sacrificial love yeah. that you talked about earlier, that yeah. she is, and Karen's the same way. Sacrificially, they they can, mm-hmm. but they realize that if they allow us to step up, it makes the dynamics better. Yeah, for cool. sure. Continue. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I think often people misinterpret this this term of CEO, especially in this context of a family and um, just men being the leader um, and head of the house. Um, as a leader, we should be servant leaders. Mm-hmm. We should serve our family and our leadership, and we should know our wife's strengths. I mean, if our wife is good at something, we should let them take control of that area of the house because we're the CEO. If you want to relate it to a business, a CEO has people surrounded around him who have strengths that he does not have, and he utilizes them to make the the best that he can make the, the business to be. So we want our household to succeed, be God-fearing, God-loving, people-loving, and we use our wife's strengths to accomplish that goal. And I'm going to take us back to the first lie then, Grant. When we allow them and they do well in that, man, if we affirm oh, yeah. them in that, if we get, use our words of affirmation to really bless them, it's going to help them to even go, do better. Yep. And that's what I found. Yeah. And when I, when, not all, I don't always get it right, <laughs> but when I get that right, man, Karen is just, she just takes her level of leadership to another level and she blesses me in the same way. So it's yep. a ping pong effect. Yeah, for sure. The truth that the author shares with this is God has called us to provide godly leadership for our family. We don't have what it takes to do that. But when we ask him 
When we ask Jesus, he will give us all we need to do it well. Mm -hmm. So, Grant, what are some ways that I, and I know this because we've talked about this, what are some ways that you have grown in your ability to lead your family? Do you have some specific suggestions of things that have helped you? Uh, re I mean, recently I've listened to a, a podcast called Intentional Family Podcast. It's not super long. I think, I can, I think there's under 10 episodes, maybe or right around 10 episodes. Um, and it's just two, two guys talking about um, their journey and what they do in their family and how they lead their family. Um, some of it's leaned towards just leading, raising men in your family, um, but it's also just in general for family. Grant, you, you put me onto that. You shared that with me, and I started mm -hmm. listening to it as well, and we've had some great talks about it. Yeah. And I agree. That's, uh, uh, that's one of the best podcasts on family raising by two good Christian yeah. men yep. uh, and, and their experience of raising their families. And so I agree. What is it again, Grant? It's called the Intentional Family Podcast. Yeah. And I agree. Uh, it's something, guys, if you're trying to figure out how to raise your, your, the kids in your family, mm -hmm. I highly recommend that as well. Yeah. I also, uh, I mean, I just, I've read a couple books from Jocko Willink, who's his like key coin phrase is extreme ownership. Um, and keeping your ego in check. And I think it's huge for guys to, especially if you're going to be the CEO, you shouldn't have an ego. You want your family to succeed. And so you have to, you can't put yourself above everybody else. You need to have your family succeed. So sometimes you're going to have to uh, sacrifice um, and just keep your ego in check. And own when you make a mistake. Yeah. Because <laughs> we're going to. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. Uh, one of the passages that I'm going to encourage our men's life groups to jump into is that uh, the story out of, John 13, where Jesus demonstrates servant leadership by washing the disciples' feet. Mm -hmm. And it's that he he's God, yeah, and he's on his knees <laughs> washing the feet of the disciples. It's just a great image. So, yeah. guys, I hope that uh, leads you to some great discussion about being a great servant leader in your home. I think, I think one last thing, in the last probably year or so, I've gotten way more disciplined in uh, reading Scripture and praying. And I think for that is just, I mean, I've always done it. It's just never been consistent. And lately it's been very consistent and it just helps you center, center yourself and know what your priorities are, what the real thing is. It's, it's God. And so if you do that and you're setting that example in front of your family, then hopefully they will catch that yep. same desire and, and you can lead them easier. If you're saying you need to do this and you're not disciplined <laughs> to do it yourself, it's a little different. Exactly. <laughs> All right, well, the next lie can sound a little funny, but it can be a be serious situation in families if we believe this lie. And the lie is, I don't have to grow up. <laughs> when I hear this lie, I think of that phrase, boys will be boys. Now, Grant, first I want to clarify what this is not saying. Is this saying that we men are not allowed to have any fun in life? No way. No, we got to have fun. Well, that's good because if that's true, then the staff here... Uh, we have a bunch of boys that are big boys uh, with you and Zach and your brother and Mike and Tracy, all of us here. We yep. love having lots of fun on staff. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, then, Grant, what are some of the ways that your dad has helped you to grow up? Uh, and what are some ways that you plan to help your kids, especially your son, grow up as a man? Yeah, uh, he I think he was good at pushing us to have responsibility um, I mean, just like simple things, um, buy our own car. If we had a car, we had to buy our own insurance and some of that. I was fortunate enough, like a rule was if we were going to school um, and working, we could live at the house for free. And so I was able to pay for college just out of pocket by having a free place to stay and eat and stuff like that. So that was huge for him just providing for us. 
but also um, he's just been a he's a great example of a loving father, a loving husband, and just not doing what you what happened to you as a kid, not emulating what your parents did. He grew up in a very dysfunctional house. Mm. Uh, his dad was an alcoholic. His mom probably had some mental illness, and she was married multiple times in abusive relationships. And um, he saw that he could have followed those footsteps. He could have been an alcoholic. He could have been abusive. Yeah. But instead, he got married, is faithful, had kids, and just trained them on. You know what? It doesn't matter what your past was. Uh, it just matters what you do from then on, and 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 live a godly life. So. Grant, that is so huge for some of the other guys out there to hear that because generationally, <clears throat> I know some guys in our church who have dealt with what you just talked about. With a at some time in the previous generation, there was a, mm-hmm. a dad or a mom who were just not healthy, yeah, and they caused some pain in that. But the cool thing is that can be changed. That we don't have to keep handing down generationally yep. some pain that came from a previous generation. That we can be transformed by our relationship with Christ and allow that transformation to change the family dynamics moving forward. And I, based on my witness of seeing your brother and your sister and you, your dad and mom mm-hmm. have done a great job of generationally changing that. And your kids, Paige's kids and Mitch's kids are going to be blessed because of that. For sure. Yeah. Uh, Well, the truth that this guy says here is uh, God calls us to become men who love, serve, protect, and provide for ourselves and for our families by his grace and for his glory. And so, you know, our goal is to help our kids grow up into being godly. And one of the cool things, let's go back to that podcast you mentioned, the Intentional Mm -hmm. Families podcast. They have some great ideas in there about... Uh, do you have one in particular that they mentioned in there of how to help our kids grow up? Mm-hmm. Do you remember that? I think the grant, the one that I really liked about having those uh, keystone moments. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, that that you share with your kids, uh, you know, and and I love. I know I've done that with uh, with Andrew as he grows up, and I'm starting to do those with Daniel. Just mm-hmm. one for instance. Uh, here recently, I took a picture of Daniel. He was up on my roof cleaning out the gutters, and I sent that picture to, to Andrew, and Andrew quickly responded back to me, Dad, I remember the first time you had me up on the roof, yeah. and that was a huge thing of me trusting them mm-hmm. with a big job, yeah. and it scares Karen half to death when I put my boys up there, but it's just a step, something as simple as that, it's a step of having them grow up. Yeah. Do you have anything for Carter? I mean, Carter's just a little dude right yeah. now, but... yeah. Uh, not a lot. I mean, I I really like to do things with him or have him do things with me, like help me mow. I mean, he's not really helping, but he's <laughs> he's just seeing it and trying to be helpful and learning and stuff like that. So just little things. things it's together. amazing how little things like that can mean so much in helping our kids grow up. Yep. All right. Well, the last slide we're going to talk about here real quickly is if I discipline my kids, they'll rebel. Now, I want to make sure that we see what this is not saying. This is not just saying punish. This is saying discipline, and there is a difference. Both are important for us as parents, but with discipline, we're not just talking about what we do when kids get it wrong. We're talking about what we do as parents to help them learn how to live the best life, how to train our kids to live life. So, Grant, with that being said, why does this lie make sense to some parents out there? I think it's... I think it's often like it's easy to feel that 
if we discipline our kids, they won't like us uh, and they'll rebel from us. So instead, parents often swing the other way <clears throat> on the pendulum and they want to just be their children's friend. Oh, there's a big difference there. Yeah. Because a f- friend doesn't always, friend sometimes is just there for the pleasure. Yep. A friend is there just to have the fun. But to raise our kids, to help them to grow up, like we just said in the last lie, mm-hmm. to help them to grow up, we need to be their parent. Yep. And that includes discipline. Yeah. And so th- with that, then what are some of the problems we run into if we allow the lie to guide us as parents? Yeah, so like like you're saying with friends, if we're just friends, we're not really we're not giving our kids the opportunity to to learn from us. Um, we're not giving them um, some guardrails and some structure to know um, what is right, what is wrong. Um, I mean, even as adults, we have to deal with structure. We have responsibilities. There's laws. Um, there's expectations, um, and they're learned. Um, but kids need to learn that as they grow up, and not just. If you don't think they need discipline now, they're not going to want discipline when they're an adult. And so, therefore, we're going to have a lot of childish adults out there yep. that don't understand what living the best adult life yep. can look like if they're not disciplined raising up. Yep. All right. Well, the truth that this guy mentioned, that the author mentions, is we must discipline, encourage, and instruct our children, but only God can direct and change their hearts. So that's what we pray for. Well, I think all of us being a child of God's, and so if we are his children, how does God raise us? And how does that play in? Does he fear about disciplining us? Well, in Hebrews 12, 5, we read this. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one that he accepts as his child. So there's just, it shows it right there. If we're going to follow God, God shows that disciplining his children is just part of life. It's part of raising us as his children to know the best way to live. Mm -hmm. So if that's how God deals with us, I think it's a good picture of how we should love our children. So Grant... I know that you and Lindsay have a lot of different ways that you do this. What are some of the ways that you and Lindsay discipline or are training your children? Uh, well, like I said earlier in the po- in the podcast, we we took a, a parenting class called Love and Logic, and it's just a philosophy of parenting, a parenting style. Um, and there's many takeaways from it. Um, I can't remember all of them. There's just so much to to practice and learn. Um, but one of them that I think is huge and very helpful for Lindsay and I is enforceable statements. And I had brought some examples. I'm not going to read them all, but um, they're I think they're super powerful. As soon as we started using them, our kids completely changed how they responded to them. And and so like an ineffective way to say something like "Please sit down. We're going to eat." A better way, an enforceable statement would be "We will eat as soon as you are seated." Or hmm. Or instead of saying, uh, please be quiet, I can't listen to your brother when you're both talking at the same time. I'll be glad to listen to you as soon as you as soon as your brother has finished talking to me. And like another one, clean your room so we can go shopping. I'll be happy to take you shopping as soon as your room is clean. And so there's an action that has to be taken in order to get it. And that has been huge <coughs> in many things Lindsay and I do. If, if we remember to do them. It's hard to remember. It is. Habit. Because usually 
those statements are coming out when there's a little bit of stress yes. in the room. Yes. And when there's stress in the room, there's a lot of times we don't get things as right as we could. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But it's amazing how <clears throat> each of those messages are basically the same. Mm-hmm. It's just sharing them in a different order yep. and presenting hope yep. that if you do this, this good thing will happen. Yeah. And it, it shares and it, a good hope with the kids. And Love and Logic's huge on actually having genuine empathy for your kid. Like, you're not the one disciplining. Actually, the, the consequence is the discipline. And you have you empathize with them. Like, yeah, it does suck that they're not going to get to do that thing. And you empathize with them. But that is still the reality of it. They chose, they made that choice. And so this is what their um, action, this is what we action we take because of it. It helps them to learn better choices in life. Yeah. Because we face choices all day long, yes. every day. And if we can teach our kids to make better choices mm-hmm. and when they're kids, as they grow up, they're going to hopefully keep seeing the pluses and the minuses of the choices in front of them and keep making better choices. Yeah, yeah. It's huge on, on choices. We give our kids many choices, and sometimes they're choices that it's a win-win for us. Yep. Hey, do you want to leave now? you want to leave now or do you want to leave in five minutes? We don't care if we leave in five minutes, but they get to choose. Or um, other, other choices could be there is a consequence if they choose this other choice, and, and that's okay. They, they, Love and Logic often says we want them to have um, they want we want them to make the bad choice when they're young when the failure cost is low. Correct. Instead of making a bad choice when they're an adult and the failure cost, I mean the failure is much greater. Maybe prison, maybe jail, maybe a death. Who knows? Or an addiction, the something addiction, like that. Yep. <clears throat> yep. And you know you think about this, Grant, that <laughs> when we're helping them to make these choices. Sometimes if they'd make a poor choice, we know going into it, they're going to throw a tantrum. Mm-hmm. They're going to get upset and, and and be up, you know, and that's just part of life. Yep. But knowing that going into it, we can help them to grow out of that failure or mm-hmm. out of that disappointment yeah. and make better choices in the future. Yeah. It's part of life. Oh, yeah. And again, if, if we're the parent... If we're only wanting them to enjoy pleasure or just being their friend, we're not going to give them those opportunities to fail once in a while. Mm-hmm. Failure helps us to learn better ways of life. And so yeah. I love what, what you're sharing here. I, uh, I, just, I just like one more thing. Um, I also recently have limited screen time personally, but also we're limiting it from our kids too. And there's there's people who are professionals in child development who will say that screens are okay or some will say screens are not okay. That's not what we're doing necessarily. We're we're doing it because we see the negative effects of staring at our phone. We, if you're staring at your phone, you're not playing with your kid or you're yeah. not interacting with your kid. And same for them. If they're watching a TV show, they're not interacting with you. They're not learning from you. So lately we've been just kind of leaning into that. And, and have that. you experienced also, Grant, and this is one of the reasons, another reason why we're, we try to eliminate screen time is that when I get lost in my phone or my computer, whatever I'm doing, mm-hmm. and if they start asking me for their time or, <clears throat> or for my time, mm-hmm. my selfishness of me wanting that screen time will cause me to lash out yes. instead of loving them. Yeah, for and sure. And what message that I share. That's letting them know that my screen time is loved more than they are. Yep. And wow, when, when I realized a couple moments when I did that, Holy mackerel, I knew I needed to make some changes. Yeah, for sure. Hey, Grant, how much do you enjoy the fact that you're, and you're probably just starting to see this, that Carter and Lucy, not to mention your future child, they're all different. Not just because Lucy's a girl and Carter's a boy, but just their personalities are different. And each of your ways of raising them up, disciplining them is not going to work the same. Yeah, it, 
I don't know why. It is surprising. <laughs> it should not be surprising, especially as Christians. We know we were created uniquely by our Creator, by God. Yeah. And so why would we assume our kids are going to be the same? I, I think, I logically, we think, well, the same parents, same parenting, same household. But no, their personalities are totally different. And yet, I mean, they're still young, and so we're still learning their personalities. But I think for us, yeah, the the tactics might be different on how we discipline them, how we parent them, but our expectation is the same for both. Correct. And it's so huge. I mean, and depending on whether you have a little boy or a little girl Mm -hmm. here right now, that doesn't matter because I have two girls that are both teenagers that are only two years difference, Valerie and Kalena, and they are so drastically different in their personalities (laughs) and how I train them, discipline them, love them. I just have to do it differently yep. because their personalities are so different. And so it's not just a boy-girl thing. It's no. really not. It's yeah, a I, it's a uniqueness. I love how you said that God creates us each uniquely. Yep. And so we need to learn each of our kids what makes them tick so that we can love them, discipline them, raise them the best way. Wow, Grant. Well, I don't know about you, but my uh, head is spinning. Uh, you have shared a lot with the guys. And, uh, and it's kind of like a fire hydrant, guys. There's so much information out there that we can grab hold of, different podcasts, different books we can read. And I want you to make sure you understand, uh, one peg does not fit in one hole mm-hmm. perfectly. Every family is different. Every adult is different. Every husband is different. Every kid is different. And so what might work perfectly for Grant and myself, it might not work for your family. So try to figure it out. Take, try some things and make it work. But ultimately, as we have been loved by God unconditionally, our jobs as husbands, as dads, our job is to learn from that unconditional love and to go out of our ways to love our wives and our kids unconditionally and do whatever we can to let them know that they are loved. Mm-hmm. Graham, man, I appreciate your time with me here, and I know the guys will really appreciate this. Yeah, uh, hope, you, for, hope you had fun. Thanks for having me on here. I really really excited. It was fun to hang out with you for a while and just talk. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, enjoy your conversations. And uh, for you ladies out there, hopefully you learned a little bit too. And uh, for all of us men, I just pray that through the listening to these things, through our walk with Christ, through our discussions in relationships with other men, that we will continue to grow as holy men. Have a great time. Guys.